Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So when did John Gruden rule out a return to coaching the Bucks? We heard from the pride of Chucky, and you won't believe what he had to say about the Bucks and what ultimately inspired him to return to the sidelines. We have Jason Light and Dirk Cutter on what really went wrong with the Bucks this season and what can Cutter do better. I asked him live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, and the Lightning lose 2-1 to one to Buffalo in what Steve Versnick says is a woefully boring game. All that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Thanks for joining us. Before we get started, I want to tell you about an offer from Audible. Dot com. Sign up now and you get a free 30-day trial membership. That's a $15 value. And as a listener to this show, you get a free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial.com slash sports day to take advantage of the deal. Audible's owned by Amazon. It's the leading provider of digital audiobooks. They got more than 180,000 titles to choose from. And unlike streaming, you own your own books. So once they've been downloaded, you can even listen to them offline that's audibletrial.com slash sports day for a free 30-day trial membership and a free audiobook well i had a chance to start the day the way you should always start it with john gruden darth raider uh and he was uh up there at 9 30 this morning one of the first coaches and gms to meet the media at the combine in his white and silver and black Raiders shirt, which I must say, having covered him for seven years with the Bucks, he just seems to look better in black and gold, black and silver. I don't know why. Um, that's the way we remember him before he came to Tampa Bay. Um, but it was interesting because almost immediately, right after the bat, uh, off the bat, he was asked, in essence, hey, you chose the Raiders, but at what point did you rule out ever coaching the Bucks again? When I was fired. Not recently? Not no, uh-uh, no. No discussions at all? Nope. No discussion with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he decided not to coach the Bucks again when he was fired. Ouch, babe. Uh, he can grind an axe with the best of them, I can tell you that. Now, can I don't you blame him, believe this. Can you blame him? Well, no, because, you know, when you think about it, I mean, this has been the whole – look, I, I think – I still think that it seems naive to believe that the Bucs, uh, in the middle of what would become a 5-11 and season – that the Glazer family that, that owns that football team didn't at least on some level entertain whether or not they wanted a reunion with John. But what we never suspected or what we never really talked about or thought about was, did Gruden have any interest in ever coaching there again? I mean, this was an ownership group that stunningly fired him and fired him shortly after signing him and Bruce Allen to a three-year extension and fired him after he was 9-3, and three, lost four in a row, and finished 9-7 and seven in the division, which, by the way, that same record won the division twice, I think, when John was a coach there. Um, so, I mean, there was a sort of a detente, if you will, when, when John went into the ring of honor. But in reality, I mean, you know, the one thing that, that Gruden could always say about returning to the Raiders was, well, look, they never fired me. They traded me, and they got a hell of a lot for me. 
And that the, the team that I had coach, I met in the Super Bowl, and it was karma because I, I beat them. But there wasn't, you know, a ton of bad feelings, and it was Al Davis that traded him, not Mark Davis. And he always had an affinity for the black hole, for the Raiders, who are still going to be in Oakland for two more years. Look, when he said it, it wasn't – he didn't say it with a smirk on his face. He didn't say it in jest. I mean, he basically said, hey, yeah, I'll tell you when, when, it, when I was fired. But so, he, play, he played that hand beautifully for years, never letting that on. Yes. And I think, no doubt, in my mind at least, that you know John was making overtures about getting closer to wanting to coach. I mean, we always know he had the FFCA, man. And he, he wanted to stay close to the game. Um, he always talked about getting back in it. And so I think the lure and the fact that, you know, Tampa Bay might be a place he would go, I think, I mean, he had leverage over everybody in the NFL, right? I mean, this was the, the white rhino. This is what everybody he had turned down jobs for, for nine years while he was on ESPN, college and pro. And so he had that leverage to begin with, but then he really had leverage in the sense that Mark Davis had been visiting him every year for the last six years and he was getting closer and closer to coming out. And, oh, by the way, the Bucks' decision to put John Gruden into the team's ring of honor, it, it, it certainly created even more of a leverage situation for Mark Davis. And, you know, look, maybe once the Bucks caught wind of the fact that he was going to get a 10-year $100 million contract, that that was a non-starter. Maybe they never even got as far as, even asking and and they and let's face it they did fire him and they and to fire a coach you have to have good reason to do it especially one that had won you a Super Bowl I mean they they knew what they didn't want from John Gruden anymore they wanted to move move on from that and the last four or five years were not good they were not championship seasons to say the least and maybe they thought Dirk Cutter deserved a third year but however it went down it's interesting that that Gruden says yeah I Pretty much when I was fired, I was done with them. Now, the one thing I, he did give the Glazers and the Bucks credit for was even though he was leaning heavily towards coaching, and we all knew that before he went into the ring of honor, he said that night, that ceremony, that was maybe the tipping point. That kind of did push me over the top. Um, I've you know, spent a lot of time with players and coaches around the country, and I've always had the urge to come back. Uh, but being on the field that night, um, with, with Brad Johnson and Brooks and Rondé Barber, um, Joe Jervicious, it did push me over the edge. And you only live once. So uh, here I am. And so, you know, having a, look, we all saw it. We, all, we heard the applause. We saw the standing ovations. We saw, you know, he was uh, animated. And, of course, he called the game on Monday Night Football, so he went down there at halftime and reenacted, you know, a touchdown from the Super Bowl. I mean, he was all in, as John, as only John can be. Um, and, and I think at that point he was, he was pretty much aware that he was going to coach someplace, and certainly Mark Davis had, had provided more than a reason for him to think he could go back to Oakland. But um, interesting that, that that experience is sort of what he said did push him over the top. Now, you know, watching John – come back here to Indianapolis and I saw his press conference in Oakland it was really sort of you know must see TV I mean he was you know as he usually is energetic and charismatic and all those things but seeing him here among the other coaches um, at a place where you evaluate players where you get to interview players I mean what John what you miss 
And John always said that, you know, he, he had a good team at ESPN. But you miss the competition. And more than that, what you miss is having a team. You, you miss belonging to a team. And you miss being sort of in that fraternity again of NFL head coaches. There's only 32 of them in the world. And the guys that come here, whether there's four, five, six, seven, eight new coaches every year um, or guys switching teams or whatever it is, it's a privilege to be here. And, and it's really sort of the unofficial start of the, uh, the new season, 2008-18 season. The new league year begins on March 14th, but really the work has already started and, and, and begins in earnest at the NFL Combine. So Gruden was on fire, as you would expect him to be, and he didn't mince words when asked about what was it that, uh, that he liked so much about being back. I do. I like the camaraderie of it all. I get to... You know, a lot of you people that I know that I haven't had a chance to see for a while also get to fraternize with the coaches um, from around the league. And, and it's your first opportunity to see what kind of players we have in this draft. Um, so I'm going to be a part of the interview process at night into the late evening. And uh, I might be out after curfew a few times this week. I got a free pass from my wife. So uh, look forward to seeing you guys. <laughs> and he will be. As, as will a lot of coaches and personnel people. Indianapolis is uh, doing very well after hours as coaches get out of interviews about 10, 30, 11. And uh, John's John's pretty simple guy. If you want to see him, he'll say, hey, man, you like beer? You like wings? Won't he like be girls? having a Corona at Hooters? Let's go to Hooters, man. Let's go to Hooters. That was before he endorsed them. He used to always say that. Hey, man, you like you like beer? You like wings? You like beer? Let's go to Hooters, man. So that's probably where he is tonight. He was, he was back in his element. Now, you know, John always has an edge to him. He's, he's sort of, you know, the eyebrow starts to curl up a little bit, and there's not everything he likes. And some of that was in jest when he says, I look forward to seeing some of you guys, because really he doesn't. <laughs> but and nonetheless, I look forward to seeing him. And, and he, he always has some complaints, and, and some of these are new and some of them are not. But, but the league – the league has changed since he was in the NFL, and John was a guy that was a grinder, and he wanted his players to grind with him during the offseason. Well, now they can't even be in the building till early April, so he's having a tough time adjusting to that. Well, it's, uh, it's a lot different because you're not allowed to have any interaction with the players. And, um, you know, I've always complained about that since the new CBA came in place. Uh, a lot of players would come to see me in Tampa to get their football fix. So you're not allowed to have contact with these guys. But what's, what's most discouraging to me is we've got to make some decisions on our roster, on salaries, on players and their futures, and you can't even meet them. You're not allowed to – I don't know these guys. I've never coached them. I've never met half of them. So that's uh, been very, very difficult for me, and um, I've been emotional about it at times. <laughs> I tell you, I've been emotional about it, man. Yeah, he has been, and he has bumped into a few guys, and he was asked about uh, a couple of them. You know, I, I think that uh, they're still undecided a little bit about Marshawn Lynch. He seems to think he wants him back, uh, says he's still beast mode, but we'll see how that goes. In the meantime, the other thing that's different about the game, um, and, and I'm going to expound on this after you hear him talk about it, but, uh, you know, there's like baseball in any sport these days, there's a lot of analytics. There, there's a lot of of different ideas coming to football. It's not just blocking and tackling anymore. And you would expect maybe Gruden is going to embrace that? Mm, not so fast. 
Are you talking about the analytics, the GPS, all the modern technology? Man, I'm trying to throw the game back to 1998. You know, really, as a broadcaster, I, I went around and observed every team, asked a lot of questions, took a look at the facilities, how they're doing business. Um, there's a stack of analytical data, or data, however you want to say that word, that people don't even know how to read it. It's one thing to have the data, or data. It's another thing to know how to read the damn thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to rely on GPSs and, and all the modern technology. I will certainly have some people that are professional that can help me from that regard, but I, I still think doing things the old-fashioned way uh, is, is a good way, and uh, we're going to try to lean lean the needle that way a little bit. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. You say potato, I say potato. You say data, I say data. You know what I mean? John Gruden on the data. Um, now, let me just say, if you're buying much of this, um, I got some swamp land to sell you. Because remember now, for nine years, this guy invited himself or was invited into every facility in the National Football League, watched every practice, saw how every guy did everything, um, studied every offense. And, and so he, he, may not, uh, he may not be a huge analytics guy, but I assure you that um, you know they're not going to be running the wing tee, okay? He he is he is up to date and he has stolen every good idea that those other thirty one teams have in the National Football League, and I'm interested to see how how he sort of uh, implements them. One other thing that John was asking a shout out to the local high school. He was asked about the uh, in, impact that college football and high school may actually have on his offense. Plant High School in Tampa. I might put their playbook in. No, I don't know. I, I think you study, you learn from everybody. Um, that's the cool thing about the combine. You know, you start studying all these college offenses, which is what I did over the last several years. I was enamored with Patrick Mahomes' offense at Texas Tech. I remember Paxton Lynch running some really cool plays at Memphis. Um, I look forward to watching Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen and these young quarterbacks and seeing how they tore up the field. Maybe we can steal some plays and some concepts that will help us. Maybe. Maybe. The Plant Panthers donating to John Gruden's new playbook in Oakland. That's awesome. Got a lot of shout-outs on Twitter from some Plant High people. It was cool. So John Gruden mentioning his local high school there from Tampa. Um, and then, you know, finally we'll wrap up with this. I really, I was convinced by the end of the interview that John is exactly where John wants to be. And, and sure, 10, 10 years, $10 million would convince me to coach in a lot of places, some of them not in the continental United States. But um, I think that uh, he really does like being the Raiders coach. He, he's certainly familiar with the organization. And he's sort of, I mean, he, he is a big story, big, big story in the NFL this year. Uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be back in the AFC West, certainly, but with the Raiders. And um, it's been really cool. Not many people get a chance to go back and do it a second time. And it's a neat story for me, but I want to take advantage of the opportunity. And I know I have a lot to prove. So interesting in seeing the coach. And we'll have more from him, I'm sure, uh, if, if anything develops with the Raiders this week. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, and the juxtaposition was not lost on a lot of people, almost as soon as... John Gruden left the podium. It was time for Jason Light, followed by Dirk Cutter, to stand on the same podium. And we had a chance to talk to them about the 5-11 and 11 season uh, that the Bucks just had and, and sort of what went wrong. 
We'll start with Jason Light. So what happened? How did you go 5-11? and 11? We feel like we are very, very close. And I know the season didn't show that with five wins. But we had a quarterback who was very in a lot of pain on a throwing shoulder. And as we sit back and look at it now, a lot of the throws he couldn't make um, affected our offense. And Jameis is a super competitive guy, as you know. He, um, he, we wouldn't put him out there if he was in danger. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Injuring the shoulder worse, but when you have a starting quarterback who's affected by his throwing shoulder, things just aren't going to go. It's not going to be a fine-tuned, fine-oiled machine out there. We had turnovers, and we had... 10 games where we were within seven points. I think we were two and seven in games at six or less points. We didn't close out games well. And if I had to point to one, two things, I would the pain that Jameis was going through and the inability to close out games and turnovers. And these are all things that we think we could fix. Really interesting, and I thought they hit. They and I'm not totally disagreeing with them. Um, I, I I said almost immediately that the story of 2018 was going to be the quarterback getting hurt. You were saying that um, all having, season. Yeah, after pretty much. After hurt. you said that was that was pretty much the story hurt. of the season. They were two and one, and if right. they had a kicker, they would have been three and one over New England. Going yeah, after a win in New England, going to Arizona, and then the wheels fell off there, and he takes the hit from Chandler Jones and. Has to come out of that game, and Fitzpatrick brings them back, but they lose 38-33. And then, um, you know, Jameis – look, Jameis wanted to play, and Jameis thought he could play. And, and even the next week at Buffalo, he played pretty well in the second half and had one good half of football against a defense that at that time wasn't playing very well. Um, gave them a lead, and they lost it in the last three, three or four minutes of the game, and they lose at Buffalo, but – he didn't practice till that Friday because the shoulder was sore and they were trying to give him as much time as possible. Um, same thing the next week. They didn't practice him until Friday. So he's a tough guy, and he was cleared by doctors. Um, but I said all along, I, I just didn't think that he was the same quarterback. He wasn't making the same throws. I thought he was turning down throws. And that's the sort of thing when you're in the heat of the season. Um, two things. One you know, sort of everybody's hurt, but, but if it's your quarterback, you know, you want your guy on the field. I mean, don't, don't forget, they had no experience with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And in fact, I was convinced that Fitzpatrick would not have won the number two job had Ryan Griffin not gotten hurt in the preseason. I mean, he was being outplayed. So they didn't have a ton of confidence or body of work because once the season started, Fitzpatrick simply didn't get any reps. Now, that's the beauty of being a 34-year-old quarterback is you played so much that maybe you don't require them. But, you know, it wasn't like it wasn't like they had, you know, Nick Foles on the bench and they were ready to bring him in the way Nick played last year. And even the Eagles didn't know that, expect Nick to do that. But um, they didn't have any experience with Fitzpatrick. So when Winston says he can go, when the doctors say he can go, 
when he goes out there on Friday and throws the ball around and looks like he can go, you're going to play your starting quarterback because you think it gives your team, and just psychologically, it gives your team, if nothing else, the best chance to win. But in reality, when you get back and you watch the tape and you have an offseason to kind of study things, you realize that it was a bigger factor maybe than they let on, you know, during the season. But, uh, you know, as as Dirk Cutter explained, he clearly wasn't the same guy, but he felt like he had no choice but to play him. A lot of players in the NFL are playing hurt. Sure. And, okay, it's, it's a little bit different when it's your quarterback, but, again, it's hard to sit down a starting player when he's, A, cleared by the medical staff, and, B, saying he can go. So... And as far as as far as James specifically, it's it's hard to say exactly. Okay, on this play, this play, this play, was that a was that a shoulder issue, yeah. or did he just did he turn down this throw? Yeah, I mean that's yeah. those are those are hard things to say. Uh, and you know, again, you're, there's not there's not many teams in the NFL. I've I've never seen it where. If your starting quarterback is able to play, that you're saying, ah, no, we're going to go with this guy who really hasn't taken the reps anyway until you, until your guy's totally out. So, uh, I mean, uh, again, you gotta you gotta trust you gotta trust the information that you have uh, with all of our players as far as injuries and so there's no doubt that injuries. Shoulder injury affected Jameis for a stretch of the season until until he sat down, and I think I think uh, he showed when he did come back those last few games that when he's healthy, you know he's pretty good. He did play much better uh, when he came back. He was a different quarterback than when he was hurt. There's no doubt about that. He sat out three weeks. They went two and one with Fitzpatrick. Um, so you know, however, when he came back. Out of the last five games, he only won one of them, and that was the last game against New Orleans on you know the deep ball that they had against the Saints to win the uh, season finale. Uh, now, it seems like just because of this conversation that an awful lot of, of the failures of this season are being put on the quarterback and his injury, and, and that's true uh, in this conversation, but that wasn't the whole conversation. I mean, in general, there were other injuries that affected them, not the least of which was Noah Spence getting hurt. Yeah, Noah... Uh... You know that was that was just a, a sad and disappointing situation when you when a guy has off off season shoulder surgery and goes through all that rehab and Noah was very diligent in that rehab and then halfway in our second game of the year in Minnesota he comes off he's holding his shoulder and they say it's the exact same thing he goes into the locker room puts on a harness and goes back and finishes the game uh, Noah, Noah loves football and. Uh, you know, when you, when you draft a guy where we drafted him, you have high expectations for him, and he has high expectations for himself. Uh, he's training like crazy. I saw him last week. Uh, he told me he weighed 254 pounds, and he, he looks great. He still is not, he's not cleared coming off that shoulder surgery, but obviously, you know, we feel like uh, if we can get him out there healthy, that he's got a chance to, to be an impact, impact player for us. No pass rush, only 22 sacks, last in the NFL. That was a huge, huge factor for the Bucks, uh this past season, just not being able to generate any pressure. And quarterbacks absolutely picked them apart. The other thing that happened on the offensive side, even with Jameis nicked up, 
is they just weren't very good when they got into the red zone. We were in, uh, I think we were seventh at getting into the red zone, but 24th in the league in scoring touchdowns in the red zone. If we, we, we had uh, 53 possessions where we had the ball in the red zone, if we would have got touchdowns in five more of those, we would have gone from 24th to the top eight in the league. So I just threw a whole bunch of numbers at you. Uh, yeah, I broke down every one of those possessions and, and why we didn't score. So sometimes it was it was poor execution. Turnovers were a factor. Untimely penalties were a factor. And sometimes it was bla- uh, bad play call sequences. I mean, so there's always more than one thing. And uh, that's one of our top priorities as an offensive coaching staff to get fixed for next year. When you're three and seven in one score games, and then you watch those red zone possessions and how many times you had to settle for a field goal, and you say, man, what if, what if we would have got a touchdown right here instead? Uh, that's one of the quickest ways to flip your record around. That's when, when Dirk Cutter or Jason Light in particular says we're not that, we feel like we're really, really close. That's sort of what they're looking. Now it's a loser's lament because I think a lot of teams can take those numbers when, when they you know, finish five and 11 and say, well, touchdown here, touchdown there. That's the game. That's the NFL. That's sort of that's sort of where you are. The good teams figure it out and get the ball in the end zone, and the bad ones uh, uh, really don't. And so, um, you know, it's it, it it's all in there, right? It's a team game. An awful lot is put on the quarterback. I still think that when you lose your starter in this league, you know, you're lucky if you get two wins out of three games as a backup. But you know, Jameis not only missed three games, but he played hurt three games and ultimately lost them all and was ineffective. So that was your season. So, um, look, they need them healthy. There's no doubt about that. Now, I, I did uh, have a chance to uh, to talk to Dirk, um, you know, about the accountability that he had for himself after two years. He's going into his third year in the NFL. So what's, what's the top thing, the number one thing he has to do better? The number one thing I have to do better is I have to help our guys. We have to figure out a way that – when it comes down to winning time, we have to we have to figure out a way to win. Yeah. I mean, we there's a we get this chart of one score games in the NFL that the analytics guys did for us, and we tied for the most one score games. Ten. There was there was more than one team that had right. ten one score games. But of the teams that had that many, we had the lowest win. Percentage. Three and seven, right? We were three and seven in one score games. Yeah. And then when you go back, whether it be in the red zone. Okay, perfect example is uh, into the first half, Carolina, right. at Carolina, right. second to last game. So, you know, we go down there, we have a great chance to score right before the half. Um, I think we end up kicking a field goal, and we were, we're up five points instead of instead of uh, eight points, instead of nine points, whatever it would have been. So, and look how that game ended. Man, were those. Was that was that the difference in the game scoring right there before the half? I mean, you, yeah. you could make a who knows how the second half would have gone, but uh, what, the fact that we were five and eleven, our guys played hard enough. They, we played hard enough. I mean, we can make all the excuses we want, but we played hard enough, and that's attested to that you're in ten one score games. Right. And then the fact that we're three and seven, how do we? It's going to be hard to go 10 and 0 in one score. Sure. Games. It's, it's Maybe turn it around. Yeah. You, I think Atlanta was six and four in one score games. They were another team that had 10. Six and four. We were three and seven. It wasn't good. They're in the playoffs. We're not. Yeah. Uh, so, and of those one score games, you know, uh, 
Uh, Carolina was one. Atlanta was one. I mean, some of those are division games as well. So there you get a general feel for for what Dirk Cutter was talking about. We have lots uh, from those two interviews with Jason Light, with Dirk Cutter. We're going to have a lot this week, of course, from a lot of the players. But, uh, you know, they also, uh, coming up tomorrow, we'll talk about the Bucks' plan at, at backup quarterback, who figures in. Oh, by the way, the Bears uh, said today, their general manager, that they plan on releasing Mike Glennon before the start of the new league year. <clears throat> Should he not find a place to compete for a starter? The Glennon mob should get all excited because I can assure you that the Bucks are interested. They're pretty they've talked to Fitzpatrick. They they they're okay with him coming back, but I think, you know, it's going to be a very fertile crop. Uh, every day it seems to be uh, more and more veterans that are put out there uh, as a possible replacements. Uh also, you know, talked uh, an awful lot about the the roles changing for Todd Munkin, what that means to the Bucks, to their offense for Jameis Winston. The reason that he uh, fired Jay Hayes, you know, six weeks at the end after the end of the season, and what he thinks of Brenston Buckner and how that's going to help them, uh, just an awful lot of things to talk about, as well as what their needs are for this draft. We haven't even gotten around to talking about the draft with Jason Light, with Dirk Cutter, where they think they need defense. It seems obvious, may not be so. It may not be where they go. A lot of it will depend on free agency and what players that they still have decisions to make on. So all of that. Uh, and much more to, uh, tomorrow on the podcast. We'll continue our interview with Jason Light and, of course, with Dirk Cutter. Now let's wrap it up uh, this way. Steve, you were at the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning game. They played again in Emily Arena. I, I'm trying to remember what is the what is sort of the, the, the cliche that it's the second game when you come off the road that you have the letdown, or is it the first one? Generally it's the first one, but this team, has, this team this year has been more the second one. Um, and it was a, I would say, a rather uninspired effort tonight. Yeah. I think John but Cooper. Played... John Cooper's quote at the press conference was, One team that you know, looked like you know, they're getting close to making the playoffs and preparing their, to play in the postseason, and one team looked like they weren't. So you take that from there. Which team was which? <laughs> well, they played Buffalo, who's not going to the playoffs, I don't think. And um, Jack but, Eichel wasn't you know, there. Evander Kane had been traded. Uh, Kyle Poso was out. His wife just gave birth, so he wasn't there. Well, wasn't even their A team. No. Jeez. But they still managed to find. They were up one I think Jacques Lemaire for the New Jersey Devils was coaching them tonight. That's kind of the way it That's looked. what you said. Clutching and grabbing was, uh, was occurring. It was Is that just right? a lot of just no flow, no skating. Um, I mean, give credit to Buffalo. They, I mean, they were they were bottling up the lightning. Uh, they were doing what they also, were supposed to do. Also, no Nikita Kucherov or Tyler Johnson. I'm guessing, right? Tyler played tonight. He looked good. Uh, oh, he Nikita did. Kucherov did not play. J.T. Miller made his debut. Yeah, he, uh, he looked pretty good. He was on the line with uh, Tyler Johnson and Adam Ernie. Wow. Vasile- get, Vasilevsky they... played pretty well tonight. Adam Ernie okay. took a late penalty. They lost in overtime, so they did get a point tonight. So they have oh, ninety points good. on the season now. 90 already. Wow, 90. 90 is a goal, right, for most hockey teams? Isn't Generally, 90, in the new, the, new, the new playoff format, uh, I think only one team has it. And if you get 96 points, you're in. Wow. So there's six points from that mark. Incredible. What a record. Yeah. What a year. But they're back at it tonight That's in fun. Dallas. Uh, rematch with Ben Bishop again, who they torched in November. I believe Bish. six to one, I believe, was that game? Was... Yeah, they let them up at home, right? Yes. Yeah, and now, Dallas uh, is a, a better team now, and they're uh, right now sitting in I think the top spot in the wild card. 
in, in the uh, West, battling. and they're uh, only a couple points out of uh, behind Minnesota for third place in the Central. So they're they're a good team. And I'm guessing that Vasilevsky will take the night off, right? Um, I would guess so, but uh, I guess we'll probably find out tomorrow night, we'll as Cooper would say. You have skate. to show up tonight yeah. to find out is what he would tell you. <laughs> That's right. Well, we'll have all that for you tomorrow uh, as well. Hey, we really want to thank you uh, for making this podcast part of your day, and we want your feedback. As always, you can reach us on Twitter at SportsDayTB, or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, and always my email address, artstroud, at tampabay.com. We want you to rate and review the show if you get an opportunity. Where can they do that, Steve? Uh, iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere you get your podcast, anywhere you listen, you can rate and review us, and uh, we appreciate if you give us a good score. Absolutely, and we'll have uh, more from the NFL Combine as I uh, talk tomorrow uh, with some uh, more players. Uh, a lot of players will be interviewed this week, and starting with Saquon Barkley and others, and uh, we'll have that for you as well, as I said, continuation of our interview with Jason Light and Dirk Cutter. I'm Rick Stroud for Steve Burstnick. Have a great day, everybody. Mm-hmm.